ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ one big secret about advaita vedanta which one should know about is that it is essentially a two step process of teaching it is a teaching but it's a two step process and one should not forget that and get stuck at the first step the first step is when we distinguish ourselves from body and mind the truth about ourselves is that we are infinite existence consciousness bliss infinite consciousness pure consciousness and this pure consciousness has to be distinguished from the body and mind in which it shines so this process of distinguishing the pure consciousness from body and mind is called viveka viveka literally me- means discrimination analysis separation separation of what two things which seem similar and which have become mixed up when you separate them not physically not by any kind of uh, physical or chemical process but in understanding in our realization we separate them that is called viveka having separated them you see the process of viveka gives us the feeling that there are actually two things one is pure consciousness the atman the the self the real self and the other one the body mind the body mind complex it gives us the feeling now there are two things but actually there are not two things this is the second step of advaita vedanta and this is essential otherwise there will be no advaita non dualism in the second step we realize what we had separated the pure consciousness from the body mind complex and the external world they are not different from the underlying pure consciousness it's like saying i will first discover that the reality of this table is wood that means i am separating table and wood what is table now i also must understand what is wood this gives me a more complete understanding of what is here but when i'm speaking about separating table and wood it sounds like there are two things something called a table and something called wood but i challenge you to show me the table apart from the wood so in the second stage we realize it's not two things it's not two things it is one thing and it is wood alone table is a name it's a form and it's a function where i can put my hands and the book on so it's actually one thing not two things that is the second stage so we are now entering the second stage in the first stage what did we see in the first stage we saw advaita is telling us take a look at yourself who or what are you who or what are you when we take a look at ourselves what we find is this body and the mind this person i look at myself i am swami sarvapriyananda and this is my body this is my mind this is these are my memories my personal history this is who i am 
Now Vedanta tells you, here you will find a body, mind and consciousness. Normally we do not separate them. We take it as one entity. When you say, who am I? This person. So I am the body also, I am the mind also. And if you say, there is some consciousness apart from the mind and body, I am that also. But Vedanta says, take a careful look. When you analyze this, when you throw the light of Viveka upon this body, body mind consciousness complex, you will find that you are consciousness, which is the witness of the body mind um, complex, which energizes, which illumines, and which enables the body mind complex to function as a person. But basically, you are that unchanging consciousness. Take an example which I have used earlier. The sun. And say in the garden there are buckets of water. Different buckets of water. In each bucket some water is there. And in the, if you look in the bucket you will find not only water, you will also find in the water a little reflected sun. The sun, the real sun is reflected in the water. It will be a reflected sun. How many reflected suns? As many buckets. As many buckets, so many reflected suns. So you have a bucket and buckets are different. Many buckets. Some are fat buckets, some are lean buckets, some are small buckets, some are big buckets. And each of them has water. The water is also different. Somewhere it is clear, somewhere it's muddy, somewhere it is shaking, disturbed. And in each of those buckets and in the water, the sun is reflected. Now let's use this example. The buckets are these individual bodies, physical bodies. Now, I'm not saying your body is like a bucket. I'm sure your body is much better than a bucket. <laughs> but as a container. So here are these physical bodies. It's a rough example, but pretty good. You'll see it, it's useful. And the water in, in the bucket, let's compare it to what we find inside ourselves. Inside, not physically inside, in our experience. We have... We experience our bodies, but we also experience our minds, thoughts, memories, identity, likes and dislikes, our personality. We, we, it's, it's a matter of experience. If you introspect, just look inside, you'll find it. That is the water. The body is like the bucket and the water is like the, like the mind. Physical body, which is called gross body, sthula sharira, is like the bucket. And the subtle body, which is called sukshma sharira, is like the water. And in the subtle body, in the mind, just like the sun is reflected, you find a little reflected sun in the water, in our minds we find consciousness. Vedanta says, we find consciousness. That is also a matter of experience. Remember, as I am saying these, please check off, tick off in your mind, body, okay, like a bucket. Mind, inside, yes, like water. And consciousness, awareness. That awareness is not the real self, is not pure consciousness. It's a reflection of pure consciousness. Just as the little sun in the, in the water in the bucket is not the real sun, it's a reflection of the real sun in the same way right now. The awareness that we feel in our minds right now is a reflection of pure consciousness, which is our real self, which is the self that Advaita Vedanta is pointing towards. 
Now what Advaita Vedanta wants to tell us and what we have seen in the last 40 verses, in, I mean uh, before this, what we have seen is that you are not the bucket, you are not the water, you are not even that reflected sun. The real sun is up there in the sky. It's being reflected in all the buckets. So the bucket is an individual. If you want to teach Vedanta to the bucket, you will say, first of all, you are not the bucket, not the physical bucket. You are not the water. You are not even the reflected sun in the water. You are way up there. You are the sun. The reflected sun here stands for reflected consciousness in Sanskrit, Chidabhasa. In Sanskrit, Chidabhasa, reflected consciousness. Usually our sense of individuality, the sense of individuality in Sanskrit it is called Jiva. Jiva means an individual person, what we, we are right now uh, or we seem to be right now. The sense of individuality is the ego. Again note it inside when you say I. And note also that the ego is shining in consciousness. The ego is a conscious ego. I, it's a conscious ego. It's not, not just a thought I, it's a conscious I. That consciousness which we note in the ego right now is the reflected consciousness, Chidabhasa. The ego shines with reflected consciousness. And that's the little person who says, um, I must do this, I must not do that, I'm trying to be happy, I'm trying to um, achieve certain things in life, I'm going to a Vedanta class. All of that is that, that ego shining in reflected consciousness. That consciousness, what is it a reflection of? That's what Vedanta wants us to notice. That's what we were trying to see in so many verses earlier. What we are trying to see is that the real sun is not a bucket is not the water, is not even the sun reflected in the water. So that's just the opening theme of Vedanta. Remember, it has nothing to do with buckets, water or sun. Those are examples. What it has to do with is us, you and I. This body, the mind in the body and the consciousness in the body and the real I who am being reflected as consciousness in the mind right now. One more point. Though Vedanta says the real consciousness is being reflected in the mind, it is the mind actually in itself is not conscious, the body is not conscious, the world is not conscious. It distinguishes consciousness from everything else. Pure consciousness is distinguished, separated in our understanding from what? From what is non-conscious. Atma is distinguished from anatma. Atma, the real self. Anatma, not self. They are distinguished. But a a doubt may arise. It is true that I do not experience directly consciousness in this glass or table or in this insentient world outside. But I cannot deny that I experience consciousness in the body. If I pinch myself, I, it hurts. There is a conscious experience. I experience consciousness in my sense organs. There is a conscious experience of seeing, of hearing. I am hearing you Swami, so it is a conscious experience. I am thinking, it's a conscious experience. So there is consciousness in the body and in the mind. How this works is, according to Vedanta, pure consciousness which you are, you get reflected in the mind as reflected consciousness and the mind has the capacity 
to reflect consciousness and to use that consciousness. So the mind shines in reflected consciousness. It is just like you have uh, a fire and uh, you put a vessel and you put water and you boil a potato in it. The heat actually belongs to the fire. But the vessel also becomes very hot and the water starts boiling and the potato also becomes hot. None of them have heat of their own. The vessel has no heat of its own, the water has no heat of its own and potato certainly doesn't, though we talk about a hot potato. <laughs> but it's not intrinsically hot. It borrows heat. In the same way, consciousness is actually transferred within quotes to the mind which you feel right now conscious and through the mind, through the nervous system, throughout the body. In fact, we feel conscious up to the tips of our fingers. Wherever the nervous system is working, up to that point, consciousness is felt, transferred. That's why we feel this body is conscious, this mind is conscious. All right. Now comes the second part of Vedanta. We have separated consciousness from everything else. But how is this non-duality? How is it Advaita? It is, gro it is a gross dualism. Consciousness and everything else. Not one. Two and more than two. Millions and millions of entities. So the second stage, final stage of Vedanta starts now, Advaita Vedanta starts now, where we see everything that we had separated, mind, body and external world, they are nothing other than that real consciousness. You had to separate them to understand what real consciousness is, what the real Atma is. Having understood what real Atma is, the entire Anatma, not Self, which had been separated from the Self, will now be merged back into the Self. What will happen? You will see, you alone are everything. At this stage, what do we see? I am consciousness, witness of everything, which is separate from me. Now we will see, what I think to be separate from me, is not separate from me. It is me. I alone am this consciousness, which is Atman, not Brahman, which appears in all these names and forms. Okay, that's going to happen now. 43rd verse. Chaitanyasyaikarupatvad Chaitanyasyaikarupatvad Bhedo yukto na karhichit Bhedo yukto na karhichit Jeevatvam cha mrishageyam Jeevatvam cha mrishageyam Rajyo sarpagraho yatha Rajyo sarpagraho yatha What does it mean? Because consciousness is one and homogeneous, it cannot be many. Therefore, I'll explain it all. Therefore, individuality is an appearance, is, is, is false. Individuality is false. Or individual separation, separate individuals called jivas, this is a false. This is false. It's an appearance like a mirage, like a snake misperceived in a rope. Now, what does this mean? This consciousness which I am, this pure consciousness which we, each of us, we are, the question is, here are so many of us, 50 of us or more, and each of us, are we one separate pure consciousness? Or is it one consciousness? Clearly separate bodies, we can see separate bodies. Clearly separate minds, why? Because if we look into our minds, we will see differences. 
What you know, I do not know. What I have, memories I have, you don't have those memories. That my personal identity here in this mind is different from your personal identity in that mind. So minds are different. Bodies are different. But is the unreflected consciousness also different? Yes, buckets are different. The water in each bucket is different. And the little sun reflected in each bucket? Different. But the one sun? Are there different suns being reflected in, in each bucket? Or is there one sun being reflected in all the buckets? We know in the example there is only one sun. That's being reflected in as many, so many buckets. Here also, is it true that there is one consciousness which we all are? And which is appearing as so many individuals? Or are there different consciousnesses? By the way, before I answer that, as an aside, many people ask, how is the population of the world increasing if there is one consciousness, if there is one reality? Are lower animals becoming human beings or what's happening? But you can see this example is so nice. It shows you how you can have many, many individuals, as many individuals as you want. More buckets, more water, how many more, and as many reflected suns as you want. More individuals. After all, what is the individual? Real sun, reflected in the water, contained in the bucket. Or if you start with the bucket, bucket, water, reflected sun, real sun. That's the individual. The, the temptation or the, or the mistake is often to say that, oh no, no, Swami, the individual is bucket, water and reflected sun. No. Always include the real sun. Otherwise, there will be a great mistake in Advaita Vedanta. So the real sun reflected as the reflected sun in the water plus the bucket is the individual. Now you can produce as many individuals as you want. The same sun remains one. You can have 100 buckets, 100 individuals. 1000 buckets, 1000 individuals. That's an aside. That explains how individuals may be more or less or none at all. If there are no individuals, buckets are all gone. The reality remains, the sun remains. In fact, Sri Ramakrishna uses this example in the gospel. He says, suppose there are 10 buckets and 10 uh, buckets with water or 10 pots with water and the sun is reflected in each of these pots. So how many suns are there? And somebody says, um, 11. I mean, there's a 10 buckets or 10 pots, 10 reflected suns and one real sun. Okay. And then Sri Ramakrishna says, suppose somebody takes a stick and breaks all the buckets, nine, and breaks the pots, nine pots are broken. How many suns? Says one reflected sun and one real sun. The last pot is also broken. How many suns? The real sun. And Sri Ramakrishna says, no, then you cannot say what is there. Uh, it, that's a very interesting thing. thing. I mean, uh, as far as the sun and the pot and the reflected sun is concerned, it's a good, good enough example. You can always say there is a real sun. But when you apply it to yourself, pure consciousness, without the body and mind, you cannot say that there is one real sun also. Okay. But somebody said, you know, so Sri Ramakrishna asked, oh, so what's left? And somebody said, the one who broke the pots is left. And somebody else also said that uh, what's left is a lot of broken pots, a big mess for Holy Mother to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Advaita Vedanta says there is one consciousness which is shining through all of us. One sun reflected in 
dozens of buckets or, or millions or billions of buckets with as little individual reflected suns. One consciousness. Why? He says, because consciousness you cannot divide. On what basis will you divide? You see the division between each of us, the difference which seems evident, we are all different people. The difference is in the body. You think you are there and I am here, but what is there? There is a body there and there is a body here. The difference is in the mind. The difference is even in the reflected consciousness. But how will you divide the one true consciousness? What dividing factor is there? What differentiating factor is there? In Sanskrit, vishesha. What differentiates? In the absence of any differentiating factor, you cannot claim, you have no ground to claim that there, is, uh, there are different pure consciousnesses for each of us. It is one pure consciousness shining through all bodies and minds. In the Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna, 13th chapter, 2nd verse, Sri Krishna says, Kshetragyam chapimam vidhi sarvakshetreshu bharata O Arjuna, know me alone. Krishna says, know me alone to be the one consciousness in all bodies. I am the one true consciousness in all bodies. As that one true consciousness, we are all one. We don't have to merge to become one. We don't have to feel the, uh, uh, the brotherhood or sisterhood or solidarity. We are actually literally in the, in the most extreme possible sense, we are just one reality, one consciousness. The Sufi poet who beautifully said, you and I are lattices in a lamp through which shines one true light. You and I are lattices in a lamp through which shines one true light. What Advaita Vedanta would say, you and I are this one true light which shines through the different lattices here. You and I are not the lattice. What is the lattice? Lattice means the grill, the, the frame. What is the lattice? Body-mind. What is shining through the body-mind? Reflected consciousness. Who are we? Not body, not mind, not reflected consciousness, pure consciousness. How many pure consciousnesses? One. Incidentally, that also answers the question, what is God? What is Krishna saying here? I am the consciousness in all living beings. One consciousness. That one consciousness is what Vedanta calls God. And at this point, somebody will go, Swami, that means I am God. Yes, but not as the body. The bucket is not the sun. The water is not the sun. Even the reflected sun is not the sun. The real sun is one. And that's what we really are. Not the bucket, not the water, not the reflected sun. So, now notice two things here. The same bucket and reflected sun example. How many reflected suns are there and how many real suns? Reflected suns are many. Real sun? One. How many individuals are there? Many. Reflected consciousnesses are many. The real consciousness? One. Note also, I am using the word real. The reflected consciousnesses, the reflected suns are false. False in the sense that they, they are not suns. Reflected consciousness is false. It's an appearance. Why? 
It looks a lot like cons consciousness, it feels like consciousness, true, but it is a function of the mind. And the fact is, the moment the mind shuts down in deep sleep, reflected consciousness disappears. We do not have a conscious experience of, I am sleeping. Mind is shut down, reflected consciousness is gone. Cover the water in the bucket, no reflected um, uh, sun. Similarly, when the mind is covered up in deep sleep, no reflected consciousness in the mind, nothing is felt there. But you are the witness of the blankness of the mind. Of even the absence of the mind and reflected consciousness, you the pure consciousness are the witness. It's difficult to grasp there. It's subtle. But it's there. That's what we are. So what am I saying here? True sun, one. False reflected suns, many. How many suns? One real. Many reflected. So in the same way, how many individual consciousnesses? There are many, many reflected consciousnesses. One, one real consciousness. And that consciousness is real. The reflected consciousnesses are false. This much. This means what? Jivatvam cha mrishageyam. The individuality which we feel now. Moment I said the reflected consciousness is false. I have said something quite stunning. I have said this individual person is not real. Think what an incredible claim this is. What we consider to be real all the time is I. I am this real individual person experiencing a world. I am a subject experiencing an object. Now we are saying this individual separate person, separately, consciousness, separate consciousness in this body and mind is not real. What is real is the, that consciousness which is being reflected in each of our minds. That's what we all are. That is real. That consciousness is Brahman or Atman. Vedanta says, the basic message of Vedanta is Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya, Jiva Brahmi Vanapara. Brahman alone is real, the world is an appearance and the Jiva, the individual, individual is none other than Brahman. You and I, the individuals, we are none other than Brahman. Meaning thereby, we are not truly individuals. We are not truly little persons separated from each other, living our little, you know, as the writer said, lives of quiet desperation. Hmm? No. We are one infinite existence. Swami Ramakrishnanandaji, Sister Devamata, who went from Ananda Ashram Lakrisenta here to India, and uh, she met some of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, and she stayed with, uh, she, uh, in, in Chennai, in Madras, she uh, had the company, holy company of Ramakrishna Anandaji for quite some time. And she has written a wonderful book, uh, Days in an Indian Monastery. There, she records how one day Ramakrishna Anandaji was recounting his struggles, how much suffering he went through to establish the work of the order, Swami Vivekananda's work in uh, Madras in those days. So much struggle he went through, so much suffering. And Sister Devamata said, I could not help but feeling indignant. I could not help but feel indignant that such a holy person, such a, a pure soul would have to go through all this. And she burst out with that feeling and she said to Ramakrishna Anduji that, 
Swami, why did you have to suffer so much? Why, did, why, why is there so, so much suffering in your life? And Ramakrishnaji got excited. He said, what are you saying? My true life is eternal. This one little life belongs to the Lord. Let him play with it as he wishes. This individual is not really who you or I am. It's an expression of the infinite reality, Brahman, which you and I truly are. This is what he is saying, Jeevatvamcha mrishageyam, know the individuality to be false. Not in the sense that I don't exist. So are you telling I don't exist, I am false? No, we are saying that you are infinite. You are not a finite individual. You are infinite. You have no birth, birth belongs to the body. You have no death, death belongs to the body. Desire and frustration belong to the mind. Hunger and thirst belong to the pranamaya kosha, the prana. Illness and health belong to the prana. Knowledge and ignorance belong to the buddhi. You are that infinite reality which shines upon all of these. They all exist because of you, but they do not limit you. You are not bound by them. So, we are not separate individuals. Jeevatvam chamrishagayam. Know the individuality to be false. Exactly like seeing a rope to be a snake. The classic example in Advaita Vedanta, the snake and the rope in semi-darkness, a rope is sometimes mistaken as a snake. You just see the rope and you think it's a snake. Mistake. A clear error. It's a mistake. There's no real snake there. In the same way, what is he saying? Something tremendous. Brahman alone exists. The Lord alone exists. It is our mistake that instead of knowing our divine nature, we think of ourselves as little human beings. The rope and the snake, God and individual, Brahman and individual, Jiva, Brahman and Jiva. We think of ourselves as Jiva, we are truly Brahman. If Swami Vivekananda used to say, if only you would know, if only you knew yourself as you truly are. If only you knew yourself as you truly are. If you know that, everything else is done. Nothing else needs to be done. If we do not know that, everything else is in vain. Every struggle will only bring limited, transient results. Nothing will satisfy. Neither wealth, nor knowledge, nor success, nor power, not even religion, will give any kind of permanent satisfaction until we know the infinity which is our birthright. Now, Let's go to the 44th verse. Rajwa Gyanat Kshane Naiva Rajwa Gyanat Kshane Naiva Yadvad Rajur Hisarpini Yadvad Rajur Hisarpini Bhati Tadvat Chiti Sakshat Bhati Tadvat Chiti Sakshat Vishwakarena Kevala Vishwakarena Kevala What a beautiful verse. It says, for just by not knowing the rope, the next moment a man makes a mistake and thinks it's a snake. It appears as a snake. Not knowing the rope, ignorance of the rope makes it appear like a snake. In the same way, in pure consciousness, not knowing ourselves as pure consciousness, 
pure consciousness itself appears as the universe. Let me repeat that. Not knowing the rope. There is a rope. Not knowing. Rope. Not knowing. Appearance of the snake. Pure consciousness. Not knowing. Appearance of the universe. Person and universe. Subject and object. I am this. Again Swami Vivekananda. One alone exists. It appears as nature's soul. Nature means objective universe. Soul means the subject. But he says one alone exists. The ground of you and I and this entire universe is that one consciousness. Not knowing it, we have our world, samsara. Now go round and round. Seek it out. Rope is there. Not knowing it, immediately appears as the snake. All right. Here are a couple of things to learn here. One. All right, a little background. Vedanta never, Advaita never, Vedanta never denies what you are experiencing. That you experience, you saw a snake, nobody denies because you saw it. But what we are questioning is, is it truly a snake? I don't deny you saw a snake, but what you saw, is it truly a snake? I am not denying your experience. I am questioning the reality of what you experienced. I am not denying that you see a blue sky. But school physics questions whether the sky is actually blue or you are seeing something else. The optics is like that, the scattering of light is like that, that's why the sky looks blue. But nobody denies that you look up and you see the blue sky in daytime. In the same way, Advaita Vedanta does not deny that we see and experience a world of plurality. What it questions is, is this experienced plurality real? It does not deny that we experience bodies and minds and other people. But is this what is real? Is this the reality? It does not experience that I have uh, thoughts, emotions, likes, dislikes, desires, frustrations, understanding and ignorance. All those are experienced. Are they real? What is the reality behind them? The experience is not denied. Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta does not deny the experience of plurality. It questions the reality of plurality. Example. There is a rope, but people are going, some people are passing by, three, three persons in the semi-darkness, and they see the rope. But they don't see it as a rope. They see something lying there. And one of them says, watch out, a snake. And somebody else says, no, it's a flower garland thrown out from the temple. Other person says, no, it's a crack on the earth caused by the last California earthquake. Now, one person is quite sure that he saw a snake. The second person is sure that he saw an old flower garland in the distance. And the third person thinks it's a crack on the ground. Now, after some time, they come close and they see, oh, it's a rope, a piece of rope. Now, how many real things are there? Is it one? Not one. The rope is real. Yeah, ultimately not, but uh, as an example, the rope there's one thing, the rope, 
In the example, the rope itself was misperceived as a snake, was misperceived as a flower garland, was misperceived as a crack in the ground. Now, will you count four things as real? There's one rope and one snake and one flower garland and one crack in the ground? No. Do you follow this? How many will you count? You will count only one rope after knowledge. It's not that there, are, there is one rope and three false things. Three false things do not exist. What exists is one rope. What exists is one rope. Even when they were perceiving it, they thought they were seeing a snake, a flower garland and a crack. This is important. Even when they, were, they thought they were perceiving it, at that time how many things were there? Really speaking, one rope only. It was neither a snake, nor a flower garland, nor a crack in the ground. It was one rope. At that time also. One reality. The false things cannot be counted. This is one thing we must realize. The, that which is false is not to be counted. The, only the real is to be counted. Only the rope is to be counted, not those other three things. In the same way, there are two things we must understand, take away from this. Many people think, in fact I have had a pretty well-read person tell me that, yes I understand it was all non-dual earlier, non-dual Advaita, Brahman was there, but then Brahman created this world, now there is a multiplicity and when we will realize Brahman, it will be one again, non-dual again, but now it's, Brahman is not there, now it's all, it's like saying that actually there are three things. There is a snake and there is a rope, uh, there is a snake and a flower garland and a crack in the ground. And one real thing called a rope. No. There is actually only one real thing called a rope. Even when you are seeing all, all of those things. Even when we are seeing this world, when we see ourselves as individual beings, the thing to know is that right now, though it appears plural, the reality is one non-dual Brahman right now. The reality is one non-dual Brahman. The implication of this is the question which was raised earlier that when you divide into pure consciousness and not conscious Atma and Anatma isn't it dualism? The answer is this now. Because the non-self the Anatma the world, body and mind are not taken as real they are not to be counted. If you don't count them, the only thing to be counted is Brahman. Simple. If I say the reality of this table is wood. So I'm as if I'm speaking about two things, table and wood. Will you count two things here? There's one table and one wood. Not at all. You say, Swami, if you take it as wood, then it is wood only. If you take it as a table, it's table. There are not two things here. In the same way, if we take Brahman as the reality, if you understand Brahman to be the reality, world and individuals are not to be counted. And hence, there is no duality. It's still non-dual. When is it non-dual? Right now. In the midst of all this manifestation, the only reality is this non-duality, Advaitam. Appearance, duality, plurality. Reality, non-dual. So this is the point which I wanted to make. I'll make one more point here and we'll go into question answers. This point I have to make because of um, our uh, commentator. This book was written by Shankaracharya some 1400 years ago. 
700 years after that, Vidyaranya Swami, the author of Panchadashi, he wrote a beautiful commentary on this. So in this, in this verse, I use that commentary for these classes. So in this verse, 44th verse, he makes a point. There is a word Kevala, only. Consciousness only. Just by ignorance. Ignorance of what? Not knowing that we are that consciousness appears this, as this entire universe. You and the universe, they all appear because you do not know yourself as that consciousness. Before I go into his point, let me just ask. Suppose you realize yourself as that consciousness. I am that pure consciousness. Now will you and the universe still continue to appear? Yes or no? Confidently? Yes! Good! <laughs> a, a vigorous no would have made me lose my uh, con confidence in my abilities as a teacher. <laughs> it will continue to appear. It will continue to appear. Even after you go to the class and learn how the sky appears blue, and you realize the sky is not really blue, it's just light being scattered in that way. When you look out again, when the school kids look out of their window again, the sky looks dark. No, blue. It still looks blue. Appearance continues. The reality is understood. Appearance of the world continues. Now you know it to be one undifferentiated consciousness. So that will, that's, that's what will happen when we realize that. Now, the point he made was, what is the relationship between pure consciousness, Brahman, and this world, world of appearance? He just said, by ignorance, Brahman alone appears as this universe. Just as by ignorance of the rope, the rope alone appears as the snake. In an instant, in an instant, so to say, Brahman alone appears as this entire universe, our lives, because of ignorance of Brahman, because of us not knowing Brahman. If we knew, knew in the sense, if we realized Brahman, it would still appear as this universe, but we would know what this universe truly is, that it is Brahman. Now, in ignorance, we do not, we, we experience the universe, but we do not know it to be Brahman. We may read about it, but it still looks pretty real, solid. Yes. Now, what is the relationship between Brahman and this universe which it appears to be? What is the relationship between the rope and the snake? Does the rope, the question is a philosophical question, does the rope produce the snake? Does Brahman produce the world? Religion says God is the creator. What does it mean to say in non-dual Vedanta that God is the creator? Does Brahman create a world? Does the rope create a snake? That it appears, nobody denies. We are seeing it right now. You can't deny that it appears. We all see this. But is it real? Has it really been created by Brahman? There are three positions here. In Sanskrit they are called Arambha, Arambhavada, Parinamavada, Vivartavada. What are these about? These are theories of causality. Cause and effect. If the cause produces a real effect different from it, it is called Arambhavada. In fact, it's a trans the translation would be a very modern theory of causation, which is just being discussed now in science and philosophy. It's called the theory of emergence. Theory of emergence. This universe is a theory of emergent properties. You know, things which are new things, which are not there in the cause, they emerge when things are combined. 
So oxygen and uh, hydrogen combine to produce water and water has many different properties. It's quite a different thing apart from oxygen and hydrogen, though they are constituents of the, of the water. So emergence, it's called arambha, literally means emergence. And this is actually the least sophisticated theory of causality discussed in Indian philosophy, emergence. Arambhavada is the um, theory of causation held by the Nayaikas, the Indian logicians, Nayaikas and Vaisheshikas. Cause produces some real different thing. That's one theory. The second theory is Parinama, transformation. The cause is transformed, actually transformed into the effect. Milk is transformed into curd, yogurt. Milk is transformed into yogurt. When it's yogurt, it's no longer milk. Milk is gone. It is, but the same thing which was milk, the same thing is now yogurt. It's not something separate. It's not something new which has come. It's the same thing and all those properties were inherent in milk. Milk, when you actually transform it like that, when you curdle it, it becomes like, like this. Yogurt or cheese or whatever. So, transformation of the cause into effect. The same thing changes, actually changes into something else. And the third one is vivarta. The cause remaining the same, no change, looks different. Seems to be different. Snake and rope. The rope remaining as rope appears as a snake. The rope remaining as rope appears as a snake. Now, which one are we to accept? What does non-dual Vedanta say? Does it say, like Arambhavada, God was there and God created a separate universe different from God. There is God and now there is the universe. Like a potter and pot. Potter created a pot and here is the pot. And potter is different and the pot is different. This is Arambhavada. Advaita does not accept this. this. This verse makes it clear that it does not. The second one is Parinama. Transformation. Did God transform himself, herself, itself into the universe? It may seem like that. After all, this is Brahman. So Brahman has transformed itself into the universe. But remember, milk is really transformed into yogurt. If God has become transformed into the universe, then God is actually a table and a chair and a man and a woman. God is actually suffering and evil. Actually so. Advaita Vedanta does not agree with that either. That's the theory upheld by the Sankhyans, which says Prakriti. Nature is transformed into this universe. Actually transformed. This is a real transformation. That Advaita Vedanta does not agree with this. That is why Advaita Vedanta is not pantheism. God has not become the universe. God has actually not become a man and a woman and a table and a chair. Suffering, evil in the universe, how can God permit? You see how deep these things are. If actually God has transformed or created this universe, then God is responsible for the evil in this universe. But if the evil is apparent, if we do not understand what is going on here, then you cannot hold God. You can no more than you can hold the rope responsible for a false snake. Why did the rope create a snake? Very bad. It scared me. The rope will say, hey, I didn't do anything. It's your problem. It's in your head. And you say, no, you look like a snake. You became a snake. I didn't. It's your mistake. If it is our mistake, you cannot blame God for it. 
When Sri Ramakrishna was asked, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why does God permit suffering? He discussed many theories, three or four, three theories, one after another. Can we under, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and we cannot understand the, what God is doing. It's God's leela, the play of God. We cannot, uh, who can say? And so on and so forth. And finally, when the devotee was not satisfied, he finally asked the devotee, the devotee says, I suffer. And Sri Ramakrishna's response was, but who are you? Do you know who you are? If someone comes and punches me, I can go and report him to the police station. And they will register a case against him. And they will go out and arrest the guy. But if I go to the police station and tell the cops that I've been punched, or really, who did this? I punched myself. <laughs> I am likely to be arrested then. <laughs> In the same way, in Advaita Vedanta, it is not Parinama. God is not transformed into a real universe. Real God transforming, really transforming into real universe? No. It's like a rope and snake. Brahman appears as this universe. Why? Why does Brahman appear? It's Brahman's fault. It's very bad. Why should Brahman do this? Like a horror movie scaring us? Brahman is also not doing it. Brahman appears as this universe because of your or my ignorance. It's my ignorance which is at the root of the problem. It's my ignorance which makes the rope appear as a snake. Not the rope's problem. Not the rope's problem. It's my problem. And I can tackle it with knowledge. Which knowledge? Vedanta knowledge. How do I get that? Vedanta class. Aparokshanabhuti class. Alright. Uh, let's have some questions. There's a question there. Just wait. Uh, to your last point, would it be correct in saying then that ignorance has created this universe or this apparent universe? And ignorance is another word for maya. Beautiful. Good question. The question is, would it be correct to say that ignorance has created this apparent universe and is ignorance another word for maya? Yes, to answer your question, ignorance is the term, one of the terms used for Maya. Ignorance of Brahman. Ignorance of Brahman is, the, is, the, uh, is Maya, which, which projects this samsara, our um, transactional, empirical existence. Now, has ignorance created this universe? There's something to be understood here. When you say created, there is a slight sense of something really happening. Remember, you know, when we say ignorance creates, what it means is this. There is a saying in Vedanta, what is lost by ignorance is not lost at all. Uh, what is lost by ignorance is never lost, really. What is gained by knowledge was always there. You see, a person loses his uh, glasses and then hunts all around the room and the house, where are my glasses, where are my glasses, till somebody points out, they are on your nose. Oh, I see, my glasses are on my nose. Now, he, had he really lost his glasses? No, not really. He just didn't know. The glasses were lost by ignorance are not really lost. 
And when somebody pointed it out to him, there they are on your nose. He got the knowledge. He got the glasses back by the knowledge that the glasses are on the bridge of his nose. Did he really get something back? When, when the thing which he got, the glasses, weren't they already there? So what you gain by knowledge is already there. What you lose by ignorance is never really lost. Your Brahman nature, that infinite immortal consciousness, is lost because you don't know it, which means it's not really lost at all. When you get knowledge, when you get enlightenment, you will get back your Brahman nature, that you are Brahman. But that Brahman is always there. What you will get is always, it always has been there. Therefore, those who are enlightened, their experience is, oh, I was not Brahman, now I am Brahman. No. They realize, I always was Brahman, I didn't know it. I didn't experience it. I didn't see it. So what's lost by ignorance, never lost. What's gained by knowledge was already there. In Hindi they say, praptasya prapti. They, one, one thing which they... In the Himalayas, the Swamis often they repeat this. What will you get by, by Advaita? You will get what you have already got. You get what you have already got. If you get something that you don't have, you will lose it again. Something that's not yours permanently, if you get it, if you get it newly, there's every chance of losing it again. But what is permanently yours, what is permanently yours? You yourself. I will say a self with a capital S. That we regain. What is already there, we gain that. Good question. <laughs> Questions? Yes. You seem to distinguish between knowledge and experience. Uh -huh. how, what's, can you elaborate a little bit? Like how, what's the difference between knowledge and experience? Okay. In, in the sense, like realization is what I mean. Ah, uh, uh, yes. It's a very crucial question. Knowledge and experience. Suppose I say that, um, that I'm looking for a person called Vijay. I'm looking around and then you introduce me, that's Vijay. Yes, that's Vijay. And then I look at him and say, oh, okay, that's Vijay. Now, I was looking straight at him. And when someone introduced me, that's Vijay, I recognized, okay, this is Vijay, now I know this is Vijay. Did I see something new when I, when I got that piece of knowledge that that is Vijay? I did not actually see anything new. I was already seeing Vijay, but I just did not know this is Vijay. Right? So I was seeing the person, but I did not know he was Vijay. I got new knowledge but not new experience. Now, you can say this, after getting this knowledge of Vijay, this is a new kind of experience. You can say that because the nature, of the, the flavor of my experience changes. I know this person is Vijay. Now, that's a new kind of experience you may say. But really speaking, Brahma Jnana is not the, the highest knowledge, knowledge that you are Brahman, is not a new type of experience. It's new knowledge. It is understanding what we have misunderstood so far. It's recognizing Brahman in the midst of our experiences. In fact, the final knowledge of Brahman is to see Brahman in everyday experiences. 
in everybody in everything brahman is right here right now think about it this way if brahman is omnipresent everywhere all pervading then brahman must be here everywhere means here also if brahman is eternal then brahman must be now also and brahman no object is apart from brahman non dual means there is no second thing apart from brahman so all these objects are they second things apart from brahman no they cannot be so they must be brahman if brahman is right here right now and here itself in this object why don't i see it in some sense i must be experiencing it but i don't recognize it the person who was looking straight at what he thought was the snake actually what was he looking at the rope exactly when he is looking straight at the snake to him it's a snake for all practical purposes snake he is afraid of it scared of it he reaching for a stick or he getting ready to run away all appropriate reactions for a snake but actually he is looking straight at the rope now if somebody introduces it to him that's a rope not a snake and he takes a closer look oh yes that's a rope now really speaking did he see something new did he uh, have a new experience or new knowledge you can put it both ways it is new knowledge no doubt and really speaking he did not see anything new he saw really for the first time he saw really for the first time before this he was not really seeing at all he is awakened into the reality that's why the buddha says i am the awakened meaning thereby the rest of us are either asleep or sleepwalking or in dream so this is the difference in advaita vedanta but in then you will see the whole realm of spiritual uh, you know if you read books somebody has an experience of krishna or kali or jesus somebody sits in samadhi has extraordinary experiences light and sound and heavenly celestial realms what is this these are true these are also spiritual experiences they are experiences of the spirit with particular names and forms brahma brahman in itself cannot be directly experienced it's not an object of experience brahman is not an object of experience so what are spiritual experiences worldly experiences we know brahman as worldly experiences or what table chair man woman this is worldly experience this is also brahman but worldly names and forms there are divine names and forms the names and forms of gods and goddesses and the, and the incarnations and also divine experiences in ecstasies in trances produced by yoga those are also true experiences but they are brahman pure consciousness with name and form the name and form is still superimposed they are not nirguna brahman in that sense nirguna brahman plus name and form so those are experiences so if you ask me is the realization of brahman an experience or knowledge i will say philosophically speaking if you want to be absolutely precise and correct it's knowledge that's why it's called brahma gyana but it will feel like a tremendous experience you see like a thousand suns rising at once for the first time we are awake for the first time we see it is it is it you can just as well call it the most powerful of all experiences a truly the greatest of all what they say mind blowing experience so it will it will feel like that it will feel like a tremendous experience but 
philosophically, technically, logically, it's knowledge. Yes. Last question. Yes. Because we are doing Shankara's text, yes. uh, we constantly um, give Advaita Vedanta uh, the pride of place, uh, Aparaksha Anubhuti. Absolutely. And yet, if you look at the whole uh, panorama of religions as they've been practiced through history, uh, although the, uh, uh, in every tradition there are people, mystics, who have talked about this, Yes. Uh, they might not use the same vocabulary, but it is the same experience. But the way it is practiced, it is not so. Uh, and this is true in every culture, religion, and so forth. And in Hinduism itself, the bhakti tradition really predominates. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many temples, so yes. many pujas, and so on. And if you look at the Bhagavatam, uh, to call that Leela, Maya, uh, it it's a spiritual kind of, uh, it's a spiritual experience, but in a way it's delighting in ignorance. Uh, there, there is a desperate attempt to keep that separation. Huh. Um, there is a, a beautiful Kathak performance where Bridger Maharaj plays Radha, and uh, Radha is seen by the disciples who come up there, but then they decide because they, they live in this world of uh, Maya, uh, which they so savor, and they decide to test to see if she's really Radha. And the acid test is looking in the pupils. Because if, she, if you look at the pupils of Radha, you will see the image of Krishna. But they're so taken aback when they look into her pupils and they see it is the image of uh, Radha in there. So obviously this Radha, who's somebody who's masquerading as Radha, is really Krishna. So it is a delighting in... Uh, Maya, it is, it is really uh, the way the faith, the experience of spirituality um, proliferates through Hinduism and other religions. So how do you convince a whole tradition that uh, Aparoksha Anubhuti is where they should be headed? Because All this right. is where they achieve their most dominant, the most mind-blowing experience. True. Now, it is, um, when Swami Nuttarakhand used to say, distinguish between Kacche Vedanti, unripe um, non-dualists, who play off non-dualism against dualism. Because it seems like that. Ultimate reality is non-dual and non-differentiated. And everything else is an appearance. So they say that is the highest and everything else is false or lower or inferior. But the reality is, if you see it from the eyes of Sri Ramakrishna or Ramana Maharshi or many of the great Advaitin, Shankaracharya himself or Swami Vivekananda, Advaita Vedanta is the foundation upon which they build their bhakti. As you said, it's a delighting in Maya. When you, the moment you say it's a delighting in Maya, the moment you say, look at the language you used, a desperate attempt to uphold or maintain the difference which means by that time the person is already enlightened. Who tries to hold, uphold the difference? For us, we don't have to uphold the difference. We have to see beyond the difference and find the, the non-different, non-dual. The person who already is established in non-duality enjoys the apparent duality. 
the delighting in Maya. There is a saying that the Paramahamsas who are ever, ever established in non-duality, they worship the Lord. Such ittam bhuta harer gunahad. Such are the wonderful qualities of God. In Gita, Krishna says, the ones, the knowers of non-duality, the jnanis are my greatest bhaktas. Why? Because they are the ones who know me truly. They are the ones who, who they say that, Sridhar Swami comments, it's only the jnani who can think of God continuously, without any break. And Krishna says, they are the ones who are dearest to me. The ones who are Brahma jnanis, the non-dualist. In Mandukya Karika it is said, Dualism has no contradiction with, or non-dualism has no contradiction with Dvaita. Parasparam virudhyante. They contradict each other. Krishna is the ultimate reality or Kali is the ultimate reality, Shaktaism, Vaishnavism. They have no contradiction with non-duality. It is the same Nirguna Brahman which appears as Kali or Krishna, which appears as um, um, Brahman or the father in heaven Jehovah whatever so there is a beautiful saying Dvaitam Mohaya Bodhat Prak Dvaitam Mohaya Prapte Manishaya Bhakti Artham Kalpitam Dvaitam Advaitadapisundaram it is a non-dualist who is saying it what does it mean before enlightenment the sense of duality throws us into error into samsara moha delusion that is our life. Because we do not, we have not realized that non-dual reality. We consider this difference to be real and this is samsara for us. Prapte manishaya, once enlightenment is attained, then what happens? Bhakti artham kalpitam dvaitam, what you mentioned just now. The, uh, the imagined, constructed duality. Why would you imagine construct duality? For the sake of bhakti, for enjoying God. So bhakti artham kalpitam dvaitam, the dvaita, the duality which is imagined for the sake of bhakti. Advaitadapisundaram, who is saying this? Uh, a non-dualist. It is more beautiful than uh, non-dualism. I remember Madhusudan Saraswati, who wrote perhaps the toughest and final word on Advaita dialectics, Advaita Siddhi. He says in the Bhagavad Gita, in one, I think, second chapter or sixth chapter, somewhere in the introduction of the chapter, in his commentary, Gudhartha Deepaka, he says, if there are those non-dualists, jnanis, who, if the jnanis, if they want to sit in meditation and enjoy the featureless Brahman, the light shining in their hearts, the light of consciousness, they want to remain immersed in that, let them do so. For us, that means himself, for us, it is enough to feast our eyes on the little blue boy playing on the banks of Jamuna. Krishna. <laughs> That's what, what, what I want to see. So there is really no contradiction between a mature non-dualism and bhakti. Absolutely no contradiction. Mature bhakti is, in fact, Gita says at the end, after realizing Brahman, bhakti comes. What an interesting thing to say. Because bhakti is often used as instrumental in Advaita Vedanta. Yoga and bhakti and karma prepare you and you will get non-dual realization. But here they are saying after non-dual realization, how will you remain? As long as the body lasts, they stay in bhakti. They stay as jnanis, as bhaktas. Sri Ramakrishna says, the final, my final view, most mature point of view is, um, 
is to stay as a devotee of God, with the devotees of God, with devotion to God. After realization of Brahman, after Nirguna, after Nirvikalpa Samadhi, after Brahma Jnana. So really there is no contradiction, but a very good question. That's how bhakti is seen in the Advaita tradition. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu